Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. So with our Bibles open to Acts chapter 6, the study title today is part one of Who is the person that God uses? We find here in Acts chapter 6 great insights of the person that God uses. And it's a great question to ask. I hope you've asked this question. I hope you've asked it in general. And I hope you've asked it personally. What kind of person does God use? And do I have those characteristics? And where I lack, God, give them to me. Because I want to be used by you. I want to be used in greater ways. And the good news is, is as we survey through the Bible, we see the kind of person that God uses. We see the ingredients, and especially here in the early church. Remember, you can jot it down in 2 Chronicles chapter 16 in verse 9. There's just this encouraging truth about God's heart in using men and women. And he says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Isn't that encouraging? God is actually looking for people to use. He's looking for people whose heart is loyal to him. And when he sees them, he stops. And he empowers them. And he enlists them into the ministry that he has for them. And so who is it that he's looking for? I mean, is God only looking for people with towering intellect? Is that what he's looking for? One look at me will answer that question. It's not just towering intellect that God uses, although some of you have a very strong intelligence. Some of you are very smart and very well educated, and definitely God can use you, but not exclusively Matter of fact, most of the way that God uses the smart and the highly intelligent is just to open doors for you so you can walk into something with his wisdom, not yours. A word in due season. Certainly God uses those that have been to school that are very highly educated, but remember Peter and John, how were they viewed? Untrained, uneducated. Because they didn't go through the system and yet Lord blessed them and strengthened them. Is God looking for someone, is the only people God uses naturally charismatic? I mean, is he looking for someone that can move a crowd with just a few words? Is he looking for someone with the deep, towering, booming voice? Someone that's always confident, always spiritually on task, seemingly perfect? Or is God looking for different timber when he's looking to light a spiritual fire on the earth today? Today we jump into Acts chapter 6, continuing where we were last time, at a critical juncture of the early church. The church was multiplying. There was inward persecution, outward persecution. There were compromises, adding, subtracting, now multiplying, and difficulties arose. We learned in verse 1, now in those days... When the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a murmuring against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. 
Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they lay hands on them, and the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Problems have come into the early church because there was a perception of neglect among the widows of the early church. Now, it wasn't merely a perception. I believe there was also a real neglect. But, you know, in ministry, you've got to understand not only to deal with the issues, but also the perception of the issues. Because perception is 100% of reality for people. So this could just be a little 10% problem. It could just be a little problem. But for the widows, it's felt 100%. And we can't forget that. We can't just dismiss the way people respond to things because, oh, you know, it's not that big a deal. No, it is a big deal. There is tension and conflict in the early church. There is an attempt by the enemy in something that started out well to now be used to divide not only among the widows and not only in those that were receiving things, but also a division racially in the early church within a few months. That's how quick the enemy can work. And there was something going on with the widows not receiving what they thought they should receive or not understanding how things went, not knowing what was going on. It was such a big deal. This was such a huge thing in the early church that it took seven men to solve it. Seven men. This wasn't just, you know, hand this off to one of the guys. And it was seven men were required in the wisdom of God to help minister to the widows. And so it was no small thing. And listen, when you're ministering to people, church, you may see something, but there is a spiritual reality under what you see. There, there is more than what meets the eye, as the saying would go. And so not only was there a neglect, not only was there murmuring, not only was there complaining, but I don't want you to forget that these were widows. So they're grieving and they're hurting. And they are no longer a part of the social structure of Israel because now they're following Messiah. So they have left their family. They have lost their family. And there is no umbrella of care and concern for them because there, there were no governmental help. There was no governmental help for them. And they turned from Judaism, well, really not even turned from it, but they came from it into the fulfillment of Messiah. This is a big deal. And let me just say the things you're dealing with in people's lives, it is a big deal. Even if it seems like it's not a big deal to you, let me tell you something, it's a big deal to them. And everyone should be served and loved and cared for as the men and women they are created in the image of God. So the person that God uses, we need to be laser focused on our loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and loving our neighbors ourselves. There's just no exception to that in the church of Jesus Christ. 
we see the characteristics of the men, and by extension women, all throughout the scriptures, it's not exclusively men being used. Here we have men being chosen, but it's not just men being used, it's men and women. We see characteristics in our study now and next time to develop in your life to be better suited and better able and better ready to use your life for the glory of God. That is God's will for your life. Not to go your own way and do your own thing, but rather to walk in relationship with him. And we learned last time that the uh, disciples, or excuse me, the apostles, they, they saw the situation and they concluded that they couldn't leave God's word and prayer, which is a great decision. If, if the pastor's distracted, if the leadership are distracted from the essence of what they've been called to do, then it'll be disarray completely. So it wasn't that they didn't care about the problem. They really did care about the problem and used the gifts and talents that God had given them to now say, you know what? It's better that we do what we're supposed to do. Now let's find some other men. You guys find the men that are among you and let's appoint them to this business and let's get this taken care of. We'll pray, we'll study, we'll teach, and then you guys take care of this need of the widows that are among you. So let's ask, if, ask, let's ask the question, who does God use? What are the characteristics in their life? And we'll look at a few of them today. So if you're taking notes, here's number one. Who is the person that God uses? Number one, he uses someone that's saved, born again. He uses someone that's saved, that has a real genuine relationship with Jesus. Or you could, you could say this, and Jesus said it in John 3, 3. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, until a person is saved, God's work, the work of God is not through them, it's to them. That's why in every ministry of the church, every single place someone serves, and I can speak for this church in particular, they will be saved and born again. We will not have unbelievers serve in this church. You know, that's a real popular thing these days, especially in the worship community. Because there's such a push for production and for output and perfect perfection, churches are literally hiring unbelievers. This is no joke. You're like, what? Yes, it's true. There'll be unbelievers on the stage because they can play an instrument well, but have no connection with God. That's ridiculous. That is just not... that you. you I don't even know what to say. It's just wrong. You need to be saved. You'll never, you'll never be able to connect someone to Jesus Christ unless you're saved. And, and why, would you, why would you think that God could use you when you're not even in a relationship with him? Why would you think God wants to use you? All he wants is your relationship. I mean, that, it starts with your confession of sin. You won't be able to serve in a church without having a real relationship with Jesus. Oh, that doesn't mean you won't go through the outward motions. Of course you will. But there'll be no substance in your life because there's always a knocking, 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 knock. God's always knocking on your heart. Hey, you know what? We're not right. Hey, you know what? You're living in sin. Hey, you know what? You don't, you've rejected my son. And on and on. That's why people get really frustrated in Bible study and reading the Bible because they've never walked through the door of salvation. And so what it, they just keep knocking. God's knocking. He's, as Billy Graham said, he's the hound of heaven. He's going to pursue you. He's going to go after you. Like Saul of Tarsus, he's going to knock you down, knock you off, get your attention, so that finally you will surrender and submit your life 
to your creator God who loves you. I mean, think about that. The good news is no matter what God has done, he can forgive you. I mean, you've messed up. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. He came to die for our sins because we've all broken God's commandments. Every single one of us. We've fallen short of God's standards. And we all mess up. And there's nothing you could do to fix that. There's nothing you can do to cover that. But God so loved you that he sent his son to suffer and die in our place. He took the judgment that would have come upon us so that we might live without guilt and shame. And he rose again three days later. And he's here with us right now. And the phrase is even used, he's knocking on the door of your heart, inviting you into relationship with him. I mean, if you really desire to be used of God, you need to be saved. I mean, you won't understand anything about God until you're saved. It'll all just be one frustrating mess. The Bible says as much, you know, jot it down in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In verse 13, it says, These things also speak, not in words, which man wisdom, man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And here's the key. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned or understood. You will never understand God and the ways of God unless you're born again. That's the man, the woman that God uses. He uses the man or woman that's born again. Number two, and there's no particular order here as you'll see summarizing the whole section as we finish our study next time. But here's number two. God uses the man or woman that is flexible. Flexible. And how do we gain this from the text? Well, it's a very difficult situation, dealing with a lot of difficult people and their different backgrounds, different attitudes. Again, the problem may only be 10 or 20%, but the people that are going through it are feeling at full weight. Not only that, but there's a now an added problem with complaining and murmuring. And there's an added problem of accusation. Look at them. The Hebrews are getting more attention than we are. What kind of church are we in? What's happening? And, and so there is a very big necessity of the leaders and those that are going to be chosen to be flexible. There's adding in the church, subtracting, multiplying. There's so much change. And on top of that, the church is growing at a rapid rate. And now, just because it's growing at a rapid rate doesn't mean that churches growing at a slower rate don't experience the same difficulties. But as we learned last time, you know, when you have a lot of oxen in one place, the Proverbs say, this is Ed's paraphrase, there's a lot of oxen bad doo-doo there. Very dirty, very difficult. And a lot of the work is cleaning up. Because churches are messy. Did you know that? You brought mess into this place today. Even in your best condition, you're wrestling with stuff. Even if you had the greatest week, you have the flesh. Even if you were you know, on the mountaintop with Jesus Christ himself, you came down to the valley of reality. And we all have issues. It's a messy world that we're in, and it's a messy church that you're in, and there's a lot of cleaning up to do. That's what God's doing. We get to clean up. I don't know if we get to, but we have to clean up all the stuff while God gets to clean you up on the inside, which is pretty cool. Like he's already working in us right now to right the wrongs that we allow in our lives. You want to know how the best way to be flexible? You ready? Jot this down. Write it on your hand if you have to. You ready? 
This is the best way to be flexible. Learn how to die to yourself. Learn how to die to yourself. Or what Jesus said. If anyone wants to come and follow me, let him deny himself. But learn how to die to yourself. Learn how to show preference to other people. Learn how to think of others more highly than you think of yourself. And just go with the flow. Because the alternative to flexibility is rigidness. And I think we all know people that are rigid and unwilling to change. Well, you know, people that are rigid, they tend to snap at the littlest of issues. They tend to snap and find themselves in a place of being unusable. I mean, because it's not just church. Like, you got to learn how to be flexible in a very inflexible world. You and I, we need to learn how to be flexible when things happen and that we never wanted, never invited. Things like, you know, when we lose a job, we need to be flexible. When our health declines, we need to learn to be flexible. When an unforeseen tragedy happens, we need to learn to be flexible. It was Pastor Chuck Smith that taught us this, and it's so good. It's one of his personal axioms. He says, blessed are the flexible, for they will not be broken. But you choose to be rigid and set in your ways, you can expect to be broken. It will happen. It will come where God will bring about humility in your life. Please, let's not minimize. There's a practical part to this particular issue, but we cannot minimize the fact that as the church is growing here, the problem arises out of spiritual warfare. This is part of what spiritual warfare looks like. The devil is seeing the progress of the gospel. He is experiencing defeat after defeat after defeat, and it infuriates him, and he's upset. And so as he is upset, he's coming against the church. Let's stir up murmuring. Let's stir up complaining. Let's stir up issues of race. Let's stir up issues of neglect. And let's maximize them. Let's use them against. Let's create division in the church, division in the home, division in friendships. Because where the devil's victorious, unfortunately. And he's really victorious when we participate in that nonsense. Can I just say this? Just a simple truth. Don't even need to elaborate on it. But if you see a problem and you're complaining about it, you do nothing to help the problem. You're only making it worse. If you want to chose the route and you're just a murmur and a complainer, and that's just your deal, then let me just tell you, you're making things worse. Have you ever considered your ability to murmur and complain is actually an asset in your life, not a defect. And you go, what do you mean? Your ability to see things that need improvement, your ability to see people that seem to be neglected, your ability to be involved in things that aren't quite perfect could very well be the exact place that God wants you so that you might be a help to fix it, to serve it. To, to get involved like these seven men. You go, I can't believe what's going on. You know, let's put it in the context of this church. Oh, I can't believe what's going on. This isn't happening. This isn't happening. Well, you're a very good observer. So what are you going to do about it? Complain? Nah, we're not going to take that. We're not going to allow the murmuring and complain. The Bible calls those sins. Why would we? Oh, go ahead. Complain all you want. Post it on social media. Make a new meme about it. Go ahead. That's going to help. No. God has given you that ability to observe so you might be a part of the solution. Consider that. What a blessing. It's like, but I always see everything that's wrong. Yeah, okay, thank you. 
Because there are times, you know, there's whole departments and companies called quality assurance, that that would be a perfect job for you. That would be a perfect job. I don't know what to do in my career. I'm just murmuring and complaining. Find a job in quality assurance. So as you're watching things along the way, you're improving. And you just know. You know, you just know you're going to find defects. That's your job. You just know things aren't going to be exactly right. That's your job. Now, if you took that same attitude within the body of Christ, think of, think of the improvement that you could bring to whatever. And it's not just in church, right? It could be your job. Maybe you're not in quality assurance. Somebody else is in quality assurance, but you have a keen eye. I mean, think about it. There is so much to be said about helping and serving because the apostles, when they see or hear something, what did they do? They immediately sought to correct it. They immediately jumped in and solved the problem practically and spiritually. And they tell, again, they say in verse 3, okay guys, we know this is a problem, so seek out from among you seven men. Seven men, the number of completion. A complete group of men to bring a complete solution to this problem. The ministry was practical and material, but the qualifications, you'll notice, are spiritual. It's very important that we understand that. The, most of the work in ministry and even in the world today is practical, to some degree even mundane. But the qualifications for the man or the woman that God uses are spiritual, They speak of the depth of your character, who you are when no one's watching, who you are when no one's seeing, the the depth of who you are in your relationship with God. These are spiritual characteristics. And I like to remind, whether it's a school ministry or those that serve alongside of us, like I always like to remind you, it doesn't matter what you're doing in the church. It's important that you're a spiritual man and a spiritual woman. It's important. I mean, just think of something so mundane like the trash, like taking out the trash. You might even walk through and go, I can't believe all the trash cans are full. This church always has trash. We got a lot of trash. But let me share with you, the next time you see a full trash can, take it out. Take the bag out, tie it up, walk across the property, and throw it in the trash can. No, 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 no. I just see trash cans. I don't take them out. No, no, take them out. You have to be here. You're enlisted in the ministry. You see trash on the floor, pick it up. Do it as unto the Lord. But I want you to do it spiritually. It's very important you understand that. You think, well, you know what? Between taking out trash, Ed, and you teaching the Bible, I mean, come on. You know, teaching the Bible has got to be far more important than taking the trash out. Not necessarily. So why do I need to be a spiritual person to take out the trash? I mean, seriously, anybody can take out the trash. You're right, anyone can. But in the church of Jesus Christ, on this property, in the name of God, you need to be a spiritual person to do it. Why? Well, because the trash can's right through something we have. We call it the parking lot. And on the parking lot, there are those white lines there. And usually in the white lines, there are, just say it with me, cars. And in order for cars to get here, people must drive them. So there's a good chance as you're walking to the trash can with a bag of trash in your hand that you're going to meet people on the property of, uh, you could say on God's property. And if you don't have a heart for people, you're going to think it's all about the trash. And it's not all about the trash. 
The trash can be taken out any time. But listen, what God, God is so good. You saw it. You took it at the right time. You walked it. And as you're walking it, there's somebody that needs attention. You can set the trash down and spend an hour talking to that person, praying to that person, praying for that person, I should say, ministering to them, helping them, whatever the issue is. Why? Because you're in tune with God. This is not just some property. This is not just some building. It's not just some bag of trash. Every single situation that we're in, and this, you can extend it beyond this property, but every single situation that we're in is to connect someone with the love of God. And if you don't care, you will never experience that. If you're not in tune with the Spirit, you'll never experience that. If you're inflexible and you're upset, I mean, think about it. There's another attitude you can have. I can't believe I'm taking out the trash. All right, man, I guess do it begrudgingly or don't do it at all. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a thousand different little things. But you have to understand that your life belongs to Jesus. So now, therefore, everything you do is either for the Lord or not for the Lord. Even in the distribution of help to widows. That it's not about the clothes and it's not about the food. It's about the widows. Don't forget that. It's not about all the outward looks. It's about the people. And God He wants us to love people. Number three, this goes along with it. Somebody that's born again, somebody that's flexible. Thirdly, someone that is filled with the Holy Spirit. God uses someone that is filled with the Holy Spirit. It says there in verse three, full of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, the word full brings to our mind this idea of volume. And there isn't a definition of that, of volume, where, you know, you have a cup and you fill it, so it's got water to the top, or it's got your favorite drink to the top. There's a fullness of it. And there is some truth to that in how God uses that word throughout his scriptures. However, we have great insight on this word when it comes to the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers when he warned them. Remember what he said? He says, don't be drunk with wine but instead be full of the Holy Spirit. And we get insight on another definition of the word full there that's important for us to understand. So he says, look, when it comes to alcoholic beverages, there is a point in time where you cross the line, you become drunk with it. Don't do that. Don't get drunk. Don't be under the control of another substance. That's what he says. Don't let the uh, attributes and properties of alcohol come to the place in your body and your brain where you are under the control of alcohol. Drunk. Don't do it. Drugs. All sorts of things. You could take that, you could take that definition and say a lot of different things. Don't be drunk with your career. Don't be filled with your career. Don't be drunk with your hobby. Don't be filled with your hobby. Don't let it be the controlling aspect that distracts you and takes you away from the truth. Don't be drunk with politics. Don't be drunk with all these winds of doctrine. You can be controlled by a lot of things. But instead, he says, be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. There's that sense in the Greek language there in Ephesians. It's a sense where that word's be continually ongoing, overflowingly filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And compared to the illustration, this is a way you could say it, be constantly controlled by the Holy Spirit. Let him control your life. Let him direct your life. Let him speak into your life. Let him, if you want to be used by God, you will be used by God to the degree you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you're either going to be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, and we can summarize it all. We can summarize it all. You're either going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be filled with your flesh. That's it. You can name whatever, you can be involved in a lot of different behaviors and sinful stuff that's your flesh, but you're, you're not going to be very useful to God in the flesh. It's, you're, the Bible says not to make any provision for the flesh. The Bible says that we're to crucify the flesh and all its passions. <laughs> like we, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you might go, well, wait a minute, Ed, it's just serving the widows. Exactly. It is just serving the widows, the hurting, the neglected, the perceived neglected. Even in this case, even if it's all perception, but it, you know, there's some truth to the fact that they were neglected, but even if it was some perception, listen, they, these are still people that in choosing, in their choices on how to respond to the problem, they made it worse. So God put spiritual leadership in the church to help even people that make it worse, make it better. And that's what's happening here. You're watching it happen. That's our role in the church is to help you make things better. Then fourthly, notice at the end of verse three, it says, not only do they need to be full of the Holy Spirit, good reputation, of course, they need to be known. They need to be a part of the church. We'll get into that later. But notice here, they also need to be full of wisdom, full of wisdom. Again, what's that word idea is that they're controlled by wisdom. Like you just know that sounds like God. That, that, that looks like the character and nature of God. They need to be able to walk into the situation trusting God with whatever they're going to face. Being flexible and open. Yielded to the work of the Holy Spirit. We read today in Psalm 111, right there in verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. While the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the fear of man is just folly. If they go in trying to please everybody and make everything right, they're just going to fail miserably. Because according to Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man brings a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Wisdom is the natural byproduct of a healthy relationship with the Lord and the study of his word. Wisdom comes as God fills your life with his word. And we'll find in the life of Stephen in the rest of the chapter and on into chapter 7, he's a man of God's word. And so will be the person who's used of God, a man or a woman of his word. One of the greatest things you can do that will immediately bring spiritual growth into your life is to read your Bible and pray every day. It sounds simple enough, but if we had a raising of the hands, there would be a lot of people, yeah, I don't read my Bible every day. I don't pray every day. And it's been many, many years. I love coming to church. I love listening to the radio, but I don't read the Bible for myself. Well, you're the one that's hurting as a result of it, and so are we as the body of Christ. Reading your Bible and praying is like one of those, I call it a slam dunker. It's a slam dunk. There's so many hard things to do in life, so many hard decisions to make, but reading your Bible and praying every day, slam dunk. So you wake up in the morning, which is a great time to do that because you don't know what the day is going to bring. You don't know what's going to happen. 
You don't know how things are going to turn out. And you just open the Bible to your regular reading or a part of the scriptures or book of Acts, whatever you want to read. And you just submit yourself. Say, God, this is your word. I want to hear from you today. I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what kind of wisdom I need, but I'm going to read your word because I want to learn about you. I want to love you more because you said, if I love you, then I'm going to be a great love to my neighbor and I want to love you more. So, and you're talking and reading and talking and reading and it's a powerful, powerful discipline to have. And it's unfortunate that many in the church, they don't read, they don't pray. And that's part of the mess of your life. It's part of the mess because you don't know, I don't know what the solution is, but God does. And by his spirit, we trust him that he will fill us with his word. It's, it's different too, as you open the Bible, it's different than just reading the Bible for knowledge's sake, right? Because knowledge is just collection of facts. And knowledge is good. We, we collect facts. We learn about the history. We, we learn about the, who the Hellenists were and the Hebrews because it gives us the context of the, te- of the passage and it takes us back to the first century like we were there and we're going to learn like we were there and then we can bring that knowledge into the 21st century and go, what does it look like now? So facts are good, but, but what, you, what you and I live on are not facts, but wisdom. And let's just admit, we don't know hardly any time what we're supposed to do because we're not to lean on our own understanding. But even though we don't know in the physical realm, we absolutely do know in the spiritual realm because God lives in us. And he will lead you and guide you to the decisions that are even on your heart right now. What am I supposed to do? God has wisdom for you. Where am I supposed to live? God has wisdom for you. What's my future? God has wisdom. Let's not worry about the future like Jesus said and just live for today. That's wisdom. Your future will be laid out for you day by day, but each day goes by. Will it be a day by day abiding and trusting in Christ or will it be day by day freaking out and worrying about everything that hasn't even happened yet? It's like, well, I'm worried because it hasn't happened yet. Well, don't worry about it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll direct your paths. Submitting yourself to God daily as you present yourselves to him is in Romans chapter 12. Not a portion, not a thing, not bits and pieces, but all of it. Full surrender, complete dedication, wholehearted devotion. The blood of Jesus Christ has purchased all of you, not some of you. Every part, every decision. And I think the essence of this section here in part one is There's a plea from God to us to live a holy, separated, acceptable life to him. And he'll lead us as we are born again. And he'll lead us as we do remain flexible. And he'll lead us as we are filled continually with his Holy Spirit. And he'll lead us and use us as we find ourselves walking in his wisdom. If you're one of those people that go, I already know what to do. I know how to handle it. Uh, you're going to find great difficulty in your life because we don't know. We don't know what God has for us, but we get the privilege of discovering day by day what the will of God is for our lives. And it's not going to be apart from prayer and it's not going to be apart from the word of God. Can I just say this? Reading your Bible and praying every day is more important than you listening to sermons. It's far more important. And even when you are listening to sermons, you should be taking notes and going back to the word of God so the Holy Spirit can speak to you fresh and anew.
not just with the applications of your pastor teacher or what you heard on the radio or watched on TV, but rather I heard this, it connected with me, God, what do you have for me? And you're jotting it down, writing it down. Even it's okay to write in your Bibles if you own, that's the only note you have and you can just write notes in your Bible. I have 31 years of notes in my Bible of the times that God has spoken to me and ministered to me, gave me some knowledge, but then taught me how to use it in wisdom. And I know that we all desire to be used of God. This is the pathway, a living sacrifice. And next time we're together, we'll look at a few more attributes that the Holy Spirit has for us in the man or the woman that he desires to use. So Father, we pray that you would take today's word and minister it deep into our hearts, that you would have your way with us, that we truly would be centered and focused on who you are and what you want to accomplish in our lives. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week 